you know, we started out last week and we introduced some principles to you and some of them are just, you know what, some of them are just hard to understand and sometimes it takes many weeks before we're able to apply it to our life and we looked at this issue uh, as far as this, is that, is that my performance does not make me more acceptable to God, my performance doesn't make me more pleasing to God. And so when we start talking about that, it, it, at first it can give us great relief. It can give us great freedom, right? Because we know that it's not in my performance. I don't have to worry if I'm a child of God today and not a child of God tomorrow and if it's up and down and all this other stuff. But on the other side, it can give us a lot of frustration, right? Because now we start going, well, then if my performance doesn't make me more acceptable to, acceptable to God, then, then how do I please him? I mean, how do I live the Christian life? I mean, how do I walk in that, if you will? And so in, in one ways it can give us freedom, and in other ways it can give us frustration. And just, well, then how do you please him? Because several times in Scripture, several different times in Scripture, the Bible says that it is our goal, what? To please God. That we're to live a life in a way that pleases God. So we obviously, Scripture says that our goal should be that, but we need to understand what that means and how we please God, if you will. So Paul, we're in this series in Galatians, and, and if you're with us with last week, you know how we kind of unpack this. This week we're in chapter 2, and we're going to start look at this issue. And so Paul basically told us in chapter 2 this, that there's a couple of ways that we should, we should have to fight against, and then there's one way that we should learn to live in Christ. That in other words, that bondage comes in the Christian life, difficulty comes in the Christian life when, when we live in legalism or we live in hypocrisy. And freedom comes in the Christian life when we're able to live in faith. So this morning, let's unpack that. The first couple of ones we're going to move quickly through because it's really an illustration of what we learned last week. And I just sense that God just wants us to camp out on that last one about how to live in faith because that's really where Paul spent much of his time helping them understand how do you live in faith. For the first one is this, that if you're going to please God, if you're going to live a life that pleases God, the first thing you're going to have to do is fight against legalism. Now, if we're honest, we all have kind of natural tendencies that way, right? Because we think that our behavior can make us more acceptable to God. Uh, we have to earn our way. And, and so, but legalism, the definition of legalism is this. Right behavior, wrong beliefs. That's all legalism is. I understand legalism is defined out and fleshed out all different ways. Uh, it can be defined out as trying to work in man's power with man's rules to earn God's favor, to, to become acceptable to God. I understand that. But really and truly, so that I can understand it, maybe you can understand it this morning, legalism is this, right behavior, but wrong belief. I mean, I just have to behave a certain way. I just have to keep the rules, the regulations. I just have to do these things, and then I can earn my way to heaven. I can earn my way to God, and as long as I do these things, I'm acceptable to God. And here's the problem with, with legalism. Because of legalism, because of the behavior, you can sit in church with someone next to them and think you're better than them because you've kept the rules better than them. See, this is what was happening in Galatia and the Galatian churches. The Judaizers have come in and they said, wait a minute, this issue of salvation, it's not Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's Jesus plus works. Jesus plus circumcision. Now, circumcision isn't a bad thing. 
In fact, is that's the problem with legalism. That's the problem with legalism. It necessarily isn't a bad thing. It can be some good things. That we think that if we do those things, we're more acceptable to God. It's all in behaviors. It's not in, boy, it's not in beliefs. And as a result of that, if we take some good things, reading the Bible, prayer, ministry, serving, we can think. And that's why legalists can be so judgmental. That's why legalists can be so arrogant. Is that you can believe that I'm better than the person next to me because I've read my Bible longer. I pray more than they do. I serve in ministry more than they do. So the first thing that Paul says is, guys, you've got to fight against the legalistic tendencies. It is not just behavior. Second thing is this. If you're going to live in freedom, you've got to fight against hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is kind of opposite of legalism. Hypocrisy is this. Right belief, wrong behavior. Doesn't matter how I live. I can accept Christ, pray the prayer, sign the card, rededicate my life, and I can move on like nothing ever took place. I've got my fire insurance. See, hypocrisy is this it's right beliefs, wrong behavior. Your beliefs never match your behavior. So Paul, explain this in, in Galatians chapter 2. Let's just read it. Here's, here's what he says. He says, verse 11, But when Cephas, that was Simon Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, and he was eaten with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the legalist, fearing the rules keepers, fearing the circumcision party. In other words, he was hypocritical. He was one way with one group of people, and he was another way with another group of people. He was one way with his church friends, and he was one way with his work friends. He was one way in, in the house. He was one way at church. And so all of a sudden, it's all in belief. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy hurts Christianity. Hypocrisy leads people astray. Hypocrisy leads people away from God. And so here's what the Apostle Paul's doing. He's confronting, he's calling Simon Peter out in front of his friends, and there's this tension going on. And hypocrisy is right beliefs but wrong behavior. You see in Acts chapter 10, we don't have time to read it this morning. Um, that can be just homework for you. How's that? Read Acts chapter 10. Up until this point, the gospel only went to the Jews. And so God, through a set of visions that he, he gave to, 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 to Simon Peter, uh, explained to him and told him that never call unclean what I've called clean. See, up until this time, it's just for the Jews. And all of a sudden, the gospel was being opened to the Gentiles. At this point, Jews and Gentiles did not eat together. They did not do dinner together. They did not. And so after this, Simon Peter understood, and he started doing Bible studies with them, and he started eating with them, and, and then all of a sudden, he went back to Antioch, and the circumcision party, the, the legalists were there, and he, he pulled back. He had right beliefs, but he had wrong behavior. Watch this, verse 14. But when I, Paul, saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth, 
of the gospel. Hypocrisy. Right belief. Wrong behavior. I opposed him. Because what he said he believed, he wasn't living out. His life wasn't in step with the gospel. And so I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Your life isn't in step with the gospel. Now, we may not have any problems with who we eat with and who we don't eat with, but let me ask you this. Is your life, is your life in step with the gospel? I'm not talking about perfection. Your life, is it in line? Is it in step with the gospel? Because sometimes we, we take some, some things of Scripture and some things of belief, and we think, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how I live. It only matters what I believe. But we know in the book of James... It says, even the demons believe in God, but you're not going to see them in heaven. And so we have to avoid this issue of legalism, thinking that if I just have these certain behaviors, if I keep the rituals and the rules and the regulations, then, God, then I please God. And we have to think of the other danger, that we believe so much in the gospel of grace that it just doesn't matter how I live. doesn't matter my choices. doesn't matter my actions. I can live my life like the rest of the world, and it doesn't really matter. And so Paul helps us understand that if you're going to live in bondage, and listen, if you believe any of those, you will live in bondage in your life. That's what scripture says. So Paul comes and says, let me help you understand how to live a life that pleases God. And he says, here it is. Learn to live in faith. Learn to live in faith when belief and behaviors line up. It's not in the rules and the regulations. It's not in the beliefs. It's in both. It's in understanding. Watch this, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified. That is so important. He's gonna, you're going to see this word, justified, justification, come up over and over. There's a doctrine of justification. We're going to hopefully understand that this morning. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, so keeping the rules, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Live a life of faith. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order what? In order to be justified in faith, by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one, no one will be justified. And he's trying to help them understand, but, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might, so I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. That phrase is crucial for this morning. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, here we go. I live by faith. 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, my favorite part, and gave himself up for me. God loves me, and he gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, if it was legalism, it was keeping the rules and the regulations only, watch this, we're through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Do you realize that? If you think that you can earn your way to heaven, you can pay off your debt, Apostle Paul's saying, guess what? Christ's death on the cross, it was of no purpose. See, it's not faith plus something, but faith and faith alone. Justification is a gracious act of God. It's not based upon our performance. It's based upon Him. Scripture says that we are saved by grace, and there's just a danger of just praying a prayer and moving on like nothing happened. And there's no difference in your life. See, justification, it's not based on us, but it's based on God and his righteousness. And that's why Paul says we are justified by how? By faith in Jesus Christ. And you, you got to understand this, this term justification. Justification is not a process. Justification is a moment. It's like, it was a legal term in their day. It was like a judge declaring someone not guilty. That's a moment in time. Justification is not a process. You don't have to worry that, that, that I can, you don't have to worry that I'm going to be less justified tomorrow than I am today. I'm going to be more justified tomorrow than I am today. Justification is a one-time event. In fact, that's why Romans says that we are justified by faith in Christ. And God has made a declaration. And it's a one-time decision. And when, when Paul met Christ, he met him in faith right on the Damascus Road. Paul's performance was pretty poor at the time. He was doing everything he could to stop the church. He was persecuting the church. He was persecuting Christians. Uh, he was in willful rebellion. It was deliberate. Yeah, he thought he was pleasing God because Paul is writing this as a former legalist. He was a legalist of legalists. Nobody could keep the rules like the Apostle Paul. And guess what? He found himself empty or it did not work out well for him. And he met Christ by faith. I mean, he was trying to be the best person he could before he met Christ, and he realized that wasn't good enough. The truth of the gospel is this. When you accept him, when you are in Christ, he declares you righteous. A holy God, a perfect God, will look, would look at you and me in our willful rebellion against him. And when we accept him, even though we are totally guilty, he declares us righteous, acceptable, forgiven. That doesn't make sense. That's why so many times we, just, we struggle with this. A holy and a righteous and a perfect God when we're guilty of our sin and he declares us 
righteous? How does that happen? God takes our account of sin, of rebellion, and puts it on his son, Jesus Christ. God made him who knew no sin become sin for us. And all of our sin, all of its wrath, all of its penalties was poured out on him on the cross so that we might have the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of Jesus Christ would be credited to us. As a result of that, we can stand before him with peace, without fear, without condemnation. We are righteous by faith in Christ. What, one way you can understand justification, maybe one of the easiest ways is this, just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justification is. But it's really deeper than that because we have sinned. Because we do deserve his wrath. But he justifies us. And as a result of that, we have the, the righteousness of God. If you're in Christ, do you understand this morning, you are not a sinner. You're a saint. You understand that, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a saint. I did that in early service. Are you guys arguing about it? That, that's what happened in the early service. I heard, I said that. I said, hey, I didn't do it Saturday night. I did it this morning. I said, hey, turn to someone and tell them you're a saint. I heard, and I heard someone say, no, you ain't. <laughs> but you know what? It's not up to someone else to declare you a saint. It's not up to their opinion. See, legalists would believe that. It's not. And not saying they were joking. But, uh, but it's this. When you are in Christ, when you have been justified, you have the righteousness of God. Regardless, there's this wealthy Englishman that, that bought a Rolls Royce many, many years ago, and their slogan at that time was that they, they had the perfect car, the car that never broke down. So this wealthy Englishman traveled, bought a Rolls Royce, had it shipped to France. He had the car for about six months. The car breaks down. And so he thought, man, I thought it was a perfect car. So he called them and said, uh, the car broke down. And they said, well, well, we'll fly a mechanic over. So they flew a mechanic over. The mechanic uh, repaired it. He had to stay there several days. He shipped some parts over, got the car fixed. The mechanic goes back uh, to the dealership. And so the wealthy Englishman, he waited like six weeks, and no bill came. So he was worried that there was a problem. He was worried that he maybe got lost in the mail or whatever. So he picked up the phone and he called him and said, Listen, you guys, my, my Rolls Royce broke down. You sent a mechanic over. He repaired it. Here's, here's his name. This is report, the parts he put in. This is the date. I never received a bill. I'd be more than happy. I'm so grateful you fixed the car. I'd be more than happy to pay. Please send me a bill. So he says, You know what? We'll look at it. They looked into it, sent him a letter, and say, Dear wealthy Englishman, We have looked at our records. We have talked to the mechanic. We have no records that there was ever anything wrong with your car. Can I tell you this? When you are in Christ, when you are justified, 
a holy and a righteous and a perfect God says, I'm sorry. I have no record you ever did anything wrong in your life. I'm sorry. I have no record. Did you ever sin? It's okay. You can amen. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. A holy and a righteous God, even when our sin was deliberate, even when it was willful, even when it was premeditated, when we are in Christ, when we have been justified, nothing you can do to be more justified tomorrow than you are today. And he would look at me, and he would look at you, and say, I'm sorry. I have no record. That sin that you just think that he cannot forgive, that he cannot free you from, that sin that you go over and over and over in your mind trying to pay him back and pay off the debt, he has no account of it. It blows me away that a holy and righteous God can wipe away everything. Oh, not because he ignored it. Not because he pushed it under the rug. Not because he says, no big deal. But because he sent his son who knew no sin, who lived a perfect life. He sent his son to the cross and took my debt, your debt, my sin, your sin, and poured it out on his son who became sin for us. And he was crucified, and he died, and on the th third day, he rose again. And that's why Paul in verses 18 and 19 says, and that's the reason I live for him. That's the reason I live for God, not because of the rules and not because of the regulations and not because of just right belief and not behavior, but I live for him because of what he has done for me. Paul is saying it is in faith and faith alone, and Paul is leaving no room for that one-time decision and moving on like nothing ever happened. I mean, Paul understands transformation. Paul understands how it changes a person's life. Listen, you've got to understand, justification is totally different than forgiveness. Yes, they're related. But justification is totally different than forgiveness. Forgiveness is this, that I've got a relationship with God. I'm in Christ. I blow it. I sin. It doesn't change that I'm a child of His. It breaks fellowship, communication. There's a barrier. There's consequences, all that. I ask for forgiveness. I sin again. I ask for forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is. Justification is this. I sin. And God still looks at me. says, you're still justified. You're still in Christ. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. 
Because justification is not a process, it's a one-time event, and nothing you can do tomorrow can make you more justified than you are today when you're in Christ. That's what Paul says in verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified, what? By faith. It's an act of faith and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one, pretty strong, right? Works of the law, legalism. You talk to any legalist and you say, do you ever feel you're acceptable to him? All of them will tell you, absolutely not. And no one will be justified. That's why Paul says that we have to die to ourselves and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Because of how I live my life is proof of what he's done in my life. And he covers our sin and we're justified on the, by, the, by his blood on the cross. And, but can I just tell you this? He doesn't just cover your sins. He changes your life. When you understand what he has done for you, I mean, trying to understand this is last week, if I prayed through this, it says, how can we come to the point just to to grab this? Because these concepts are so deep. And it may take us several weeks, and that is okay. But let me just ask you, what do you owe God? What right now? What is your debt to God because we live in a world, right, where we're used to getting a bill once a month, right? We, we get a bill from the mortgage company that tells us what our debt is to them, how much we owe in the house, how much, how much our rent is. We get a bill that, uh, whether it's electric bill, water bill, we get a bill on a car payment maybe and says this is your debt. I mean, we are used to living in a world to where once a month we get kind of a reconciliation, we get kind of a bill that says this is your debt, this is how much you owe this month. What if God sent you a bill at the end of the month. What would it look like? What if he listed stuff out like, you owe me. You didn't read your Bible. Some days you miss praying. You didn't pray long enough. You miss church. You know what? You, you didn't help that person at work. There was that time that... you that you know I wanted you to help that person and you were busy text messaging on your cell phone, whatever, and you blew right past it, you are too much of a hurry. What if God took an account of all your sins, past, present, and future, and sent you a bill? How big would your debt be? Could you pay it back? Paul's point. The debt's too big. A holy and a righteous and a perfect God? The debt is too big. And that was Paul's point. So the legalizers, their answer for that was, that's easy. We'll live a perfect life. Now, no one can live a perfect life, but let's just say they could. Even if someone lived a perfect life, From that moment on, they would only be paying off their debt 
from that moment on because they would only be doing what they were supposed to do. Like making the minimum payment. What about all the past debt? Paul's point. God came, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the debt. Past, present, future. That's why Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer that we recite. Lord, forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our debts. And Jesus was the means by which our debts were paid. And Jesus goes to the cross as our substitute. He goes in our place, dies on the cross. Third day is resurrected and our debts have been paid. And see, religion tells us. We're just talking. Religion tells us this is how you pay your debts back to God. Go to Mecca. Maybe, maybe not, you'll make it. Be reincarnated enough to where you continually get reincarnated enough to where all the impurities are like stripped off of you to where you finally make it and you get to go be with God. Go to purgatory. Work off all your debts. And then when they're worked off, then you go to God. See, religion tells us how to work off the debts. Listen, can I... In Christ, you are not paying off a debt. It is not your performance. It is Christ's performance on the cross. And what he did for you on the cross. What if the Christian life, what if it was a matter like Paul is talking about? That is not a matter of us trying to work off a debt but is a matter of Christ living in us and through us that transforms our life from the inside out. Faith is trusting him moment by moment. It is not trying to do better the next time. It is not trying to do, be better the next time. When Christ lives in you, faith is this, that when we struggle with sin when we struggle with behavior, when we struggle with actions, that we run to, run to Christ and we cling to him and we say, God, give me the faith. God, give me the strength. Help me in my struggle in my life. Look at this, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. In the Greek, that's present tense verb. I very seldom do this, but this is so critical this morning. That phrase is the present tense verb, which means this. It had past action, action with continual results. It means this, that God justified you in the past, and he continues to justify you day by day. In other words, Christ didn't just work for you one day on the cross justify you and then backs away when the phrase i have been crucified with christ god justifies me today he justifies me tomorrow he justifies me the next day he is not removed from my life he is not out of my life when i when i blow it and i sin he still says you are justified and because of that it causes me to live a life totally different 
I am obedient to him, and I line up in step with the gospel, not because of the rules and the regulations, not because just of my beliefs, but I line up because the beliefs and behaviors match. I line up to glorify him and to say thank you for paying a debt that I could not pay. Thank you that you look at me. Thank you that I don't have to worry. Am I in the family or am I out? There are some people that have been raised in families. Based upon your performance, you can be in the family or you can be out of the family. Not so in the family of God. When you're in Christ, you're in Christ. And he has justified you. And you're not living your life trying to pay him back. You live life in freedom. So you honor him. And so that you glorify him. And so that you place yourself in a position so he can bless you and you can have peace. And you have comfort. Some of you this morning, you need to accept him. This may be totally new to you. You may be a visitor. You may have just walked in this place. Let me just tell you, you need to accept him. You need to ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. And then let us help you with the faith aspect of that. It would be our honor to do that. There's some of you, and you're in Christ, and you just don't really know what that means. And you're living with the sin of the past that is hovering over you, that is oppressive to you. And maybe all you needed to hear this morning was him say to you, I have no record. You ever doing anything wrong in your life? Now go and live like that. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm just going to ask this morning that you respond to him. What does God want you to do? What decision, what, what truth do you need to understand this morning? The power of Scripture is applied truth when we make the application into our life. What do you, how do you need to respond this morning? Do you need to accept him? This is your day. You have freedom. You have forgiveness. This is your day. Would you accept him? Ask him to come into your life for forgiveness of sin. Maybe you're a believer here this morning. And maybe you don't really understand who you are in Christ and what he has done for you. This is your day. And maybe he need, you need to hear him speak to you. I have no record. I have no record. Because my son went to the cross and he bled and he died for your sin. Past, present, and future. Will you find freedom this morning? Will you walk out of here totally different than when you came in? Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. And Father, I'm, I'm just asking for just supernatural help that we can understand what the Christian life is. We can understand what the gospel is. We can understand what freedom is. 
Father, as we close this service, would we dedicate our lives to you? Wherever we're at in our spiritual life, would we pull closer to you as we understand you more, as we understand you deeper? For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.